Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. Welcome back to Contractor Evolution. Getting implementation projects across the finish line is always harder in reality than it is in your mind's eye. You've no doubt fantasized about the business efficiencies made available by a new technology or the rollout of SOPs or a new sales methodology, whatever, and then been met with blank stares from your team when you excitedly announce these grand visions. Why do we need to do this? Seems complicated. What's wrong with what we're doing right now? Refrains like this from the team are not uncommon for you visionary types. As my guest, Jeff Skipper says, the easiest thing for an employee to do when confronted with change is nothing. Jeff is a change management consultant and just authored a new book called Dancing with Disruption. See, change management is fundamentally about guiding organizational change all the way from conception through to implementation. If you need to get your people doing things a new way, adopting a new system, or dropping an old one, the fundamentals of change management can help. Jeff gets hired by companies like IBM, Suncor, Synovus, Bayer, Molson, and SportCheck to help them make monumental internal changes, and he's here today to help us do the same. Now, if you're watching this on YouTube and you're not yet subscribed, what are you doing? Like, Give your head a shake. Hit that subscribe button and follow us along. But without further ado, let's dive in with Jeff Skipper. You're watching Contractor Evolution where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. You're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability. You've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Jeff Skipper, welcome to Contractor Evolution. It's great to have you, man. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Thanks so much, Benji. Tell us a little bit about the work you do and maybe along the way you could give us a concise and succinct definition of what change management is. Uh, good. Well, I think any good definition, you get to understand it with how it's applied. Uh, so the work that I do is I work with companies that are looking to do something different and the faster, the better. So we've got a vision. We want to make a change. The faster we can get that into place, the faster we get returns on that. So for me, change management, or the phrase I like to use is change leadership. How do you help people get from point A to point B with the greatest amount of adoption and the biggest return for the business? Yeah, perfect. When we're talking about contracting businesses like our, like our, our audience is in, the terminology that I might use, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like really what we're talking about here, it seems to me is like implementation projects. Hey, we have a new complex and powerful and robust CRM that needs to be implemented and it needs right. to be adopted by the whole team. And there's a process for that and it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be really worth it at the end. Hey, we're building out, um, an LMS for training infield staff because we're finding right. that our, it takes us way too long to get people skilled up. So we want to shoot videos and upload them in the cloud and create logins and, and sort of uh, gamify this whole learning system. Um, it could be a, it, or it could be like a, a, a brand new kind of marketing strategy where we're leaning into content and we're expanding our reach. The, anyway, we could like list off example after example. The right. idea is like this business, when you say change, it's like, hey, we have to change the way we're doing something here because it's going to make for a better end result and it's going to make for us getting to, you know, the BHAG or the vision or the long-term strategic plan faster. Is that safe to say? Yeah, I yeah, safe to say. Uh, so yeah, at last count, I think I'd been involved in 20 implementations of LMSs and CRMs just as one category. Right. So lots of that stuff. So this is common that um, an organization is like, we need to improve the technology. It's going to deliver these benefits. We got to get that done ASAP. 
just quickly at the beginning here, tell us a bit about this this book that you've just you've just released and you know high level. What is it about and why did you write it? Sure. So if you don't mind, I, I'm going to wave it around for a moment. There it is, dancing with disruption. <laughs> so I, it's interesting. You know, I set out to write a large, long book around everything I've learned in the practice of leading change, and what I ended up with something a lot thinner. And, and because I found in working with my clients, it's, it's like, get to the point. It's just like when we're rolling out change, I want a result fast. So I set out to write something that distilled all the wisdom I had gained, all the landmines I'd stepped on along the way and help people identify what does it take to get it right? What do I need to avoid so I don't end up getting off the rails when I'm trying to get people to adapt and adopt? And being concise is a lot harder than being long-winded, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I had a very good editor. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, let, let's let's kind of dive into here to, to, I think, a great place to start this conversation as it relates to our listeners. For a contracting business to be successful, I'm using a line we just said on a, a, an episode a few weeks ago, but I think this is a really great setup. For a, for a business to be super successful over the long term, basically two things need to happen. The first is the execution of the business's goals. Revenue, right. gross profit, net profit. There's a certain amount of leads that need to be generated. A certain amount of those leads need to be you know, converted into estimates and then signed deals. And then those need to be produced in an efficient manner. And, and you could think of these as sort of like the scorecard stats. Like this is just how the business stays afloat. You absolutely need that. You also, by the way, need the steady and methodical implementation of systems and processes. Too much of either one of those things is problematic. If you have, if you're only really good at the execution of the business, you hit a very real ceiling, and you you have this sort of uh, frustrated hustler archetype. Five years into the business, ten years into the business, where they're working their ass off, but there's not enough structure and 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 sort of systems in place to get them to that next level. The other one is kind of interesting, and I do meet them in business assessments from time to time, which is sort of like this hapless implementer type, where it's like, dude, go sell some work like get off of excel for a second you need some revenue like now like you're farting around with stuff that you don't need at this stage in business yet and so as you grow it's sort of this dance to use uh to use part of the title of your book where you're needing to do both somewhat simultaneously and in a sustained fashion now here's been my experience most contractors are really good i mean really good at the first one like they are on the ground, making plays, doing deals, finishing jobs, moving on to the next one. They're managing their cash flow. They're onboarding people as they need them. They're exiting people as, as they need them. They're very, very good at that element of the business, but it seems to me they really, really struggle with the second, which is the implementation of systems. I wonder if you yeah. could answer to me why that is and and maybe as well, like is this is this unique to our space or is this something you see in businesses all over the place? Yeah, it's... It's extremely common. Um, and even for me, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I run my own business. And when I started, I got into that business like so many of the folks listening in because they're good at something. They're really good at something. And so being able to, to sell that uh, comes naturally to them. But then the business is growing. Uh, one great example is WestJet. I've done some work with them. But here's um, almost like a homegrown business. They saw an opportunity and they started building it. Uh, but uh, that that feeling of, hey, we're a big family, wasn't gonna work as they grew and they needed to be very structured in terms of their approach to things. As you grow, you can't just have things going off the side of your desk or off the cuff. So instead we need those structures and that's not why we got into the business. Mm -hmm. In fact, for many of us, it's it's boring. So, so how do I do that? And then not only, how do I get people interested in it? I mean, we need to have these structures, but now I gotta have people um, actually doing it. Um, I've worked with large organizations that have what we call a, a maverick mentality. They actually reward the people who go out and just get stuff done, even if it means they ran over a couple other employees along the way. And that's not going to work as you grow. We've got to follow a, a common process because our customers, especially as we get more of them, they expect a common result, a great experience. If we got folks going off and doing things randomly, we're not going to get that consistency. But it's not 
familiar to us. We want to be able to just do the work, not what is step one, then two. Oh, and now I got to implement more technology and geez, that's expensive to do as well. And oh, then there's a training that comes along with it. It often comes along like uh, it's net pain. Am I really going to get the gains I'm looking for? Or can I just keep winging it for a while? When we think about why implementation projects stall out uh, or just feel slow to the entrepreneur, what role does organizational inertia play in all that? So there's a phrase I'm, I'm fond of using, and that is the easiest thing to do during change is nothing. So you know, if I, I go to my daughter and say, listen, I need you to clean up your room. I need you to keep it clean. The easiest for her thing for her to do is nothing. Just, all right, I'll just ignore dad. Um, so, well, then what? Well, now I need consequences in place, right? And right. Who wants to give out consequences? A lot of us are conflict avoiders. So the, the, the very sense of I'm going to have to roll something out and we know, we know there's going to be some level of resistance. People will hesitate and now I got to deal with that on top of this business that I'm running. That can be extremely daunting. So we'll set aside all of the other things like technical problems that happen, which tend to slow down and delay projects. But when we look at the people side of things, that creates legitimate hesitation in leaders of having to deal with some of those issues they haven't had to deal with before. In, in the interest of just like flushing out a nuanced understanding of the problem here, I want to chuck out a few more things that just come to my mind when I think about why this is challenging. Here, here's one. Do you think entrepreneurs frequently underestimate the complexity of the systems they're trying to implement? I, I think they do. Uh, so as business owners, we have been thinking about solving problems for a long time. We see where the problems are and go, okay, well, I've got this option and that option over time. Okay, it's, it's probably option B I need to go forward with. Our employees see none of that. So when the announcement gets made, this is where we're going. This is the vision. We're going there. It can be surprising, a bit shocking, even if we knew, yeah, there were an issues, but oh, okay. So it feels a bit abrupt. And this is the, the start of the adaptation process for people. They're starting to, it's sinking in. I'm, I'm getting familiar with it. I'm de developing a level of comfort. And note that uh, we all recognize some people adapt faster than others. But leaders don't often think about that. The focus is I've got a target. I've got a vision. We need to go there. Follow me. Mm -hmm. Why won't they come? Uh, but there's lots of reasons why they don't automatically get in line and go. And I think that that's a challenge. And most leaders don't recognize this. We, we've got a strategy. Good. We know where we're going. Good. Let's go. Step one through 10 and we'll arrive. But it's not that simple when it comes to people. We um, have this this saying at BTA. It's kind. Of, I don't. I don't think we invented it. I think we stole it. But it's it's like you know everything in business costs three times as much and takes twice as long. And it's been very true and very humbling. I mean, we we've been migrating over from Infusionsoft to Zoho, and I think we thought at the time it was going to be eighteen months. We'd hire a developer. We do marketing first, sales second, fulfillment third, and boom, it's going to be done. Everything. And it's been like two and a bit years. I think we're approaching the three year mark right. and there's been moments of real frustration. There's been a few breakthroughs along the way as well, but I just think, you know, I can admit we probably thought this would be simpler than it actually was. And when you look at especially more like sophisticated systems or structures that need to be put in place in business, I think people's eyes are bigger than their stomach at times. The other thing too, that comes to mind as well is just business is chaotic and blue collar businesses are especially chaotic. So there's, right. you might have something that you kind of write up on the whiteboard in January and then by April, it's basically in the bin because the business environment has changed. A key, a key player has exited your business really unexpectedly. Um, right. A whole host of other things. And so there's things that can and will veer you off course. External factors that will veer you off course very easily too. Right, Jeff? Oh, absolutely true. Um, I, I refer to SOS, shiny object syndrome. This is another thing that something came up. Oh, that's really attractive. I think we could get that done quickly. So we pursue it and then, oh, it's not that quick. And gee, I, I set out these strategic priorities and your employees are going, 
which way is it, right? Mm -hmm. We said we were going to focus on these things at the beginning of the year, and now all these disruptions occur, um, and we're not getting it done. It sends, it's, I think it sends a very bad message to the, to the employee team. Well, and if you've sort of lived organizational life for any time at all, um, if you're an employee listening to this, uh, you work on a small team, you no doubt are aware of the graveyard of abandoned ideas that kind of sits behind the owner, the entrepreneur of your business. Like there's more of those than there are actually accomplished ones and things that made it across the business, uh, the finish line. And I, that's right. <laughs> kind of depressing, but it is really interesting. Um, one thing yeah, the other thing too, I think, and I, I think we'll get into maybe some solutions around this too later, is just this concept of resistance from within, kind of going back to your your comment about easiest thing to do when confronted with change is nothing. But a lot of the times you're right. battling against people's habits, people, I'm talking about your employees, uh, your employees' habits, their mindsets, their ways of doing things, their reluctance to change, whatever, their tech aversion, whatever the case may be. And I think that's a, a, a an obstacle in all this too. Yeah, 100%. There are so many things as leaders we can do to help people along the way, but we have to recognize, and this gets missed easily, all of us carry so much baggage. Some is now positive, right? Uh, but you know, the way we are raised, the values we have, uh, what we see as threatening, all these things have a big impact on whether we're likely to embrace the change today that you're putting in front of me. Uh, physical issues, uh, didn't get enough sleep. Um, you know, there are things I'm dealing with at home. I've got aging parents. We have a certain level of uh, a certain capacity for change and think of it like a battery. It gets depleted mm. often during the day. At the end of the day, I'm tired. I go to sit in front of the TV and you just, mm-hmm. right? You're out of gas. Mm-hmm. When you're feeling that and someone says, hey, can you make a decision about X? I mean, how many times have I said to my wife, just you decide, I, I don't have it in right. me. Right. Um, it's gone. And this happens at work too. There's so much going on um, that oh, now I got to stop and learn how to do this and focus on it. Right. That absorbs a lot of energy that honestly I need for other stuff as well, whether it's personally or just doing my regular job. Um, So it's a real factor that resistance is going to occur. And Benji, I got to be clear, we cannot assume that it's because people don't want to do it. There's a continuum here of I've got folks who – just not clear, like, what is it we're trying to accomplish? I didn't get it the first time. Repetition is extremely important when we're rolling out change. Um, or I'm lacking the skills. I haven't yet developed, you know, what mm. I need in order to do this properly. And then finally, we can look at folks who just, I'm not interested, or I don't like you, or some, for some reason, I don't like this uh, solution, uh, this change. So I'm just not going to do it. The entrenched individuals. But the, the not, resistance- not all resistance is bad. The resistance from within thing is probably an easy scapegoat when you're kind of telling yourself this story. This didn't work because the team didn't do it. I couldn't get time tracking done because Ray won't get an iPhone. Like, you know, there's I think there's more to this than than that. Um, I will say, however, I do believe in my limited experience with this, that it is a muscle and you do develop it. Like you do get better as an organization or as a leadership team at doing this stuff. Um, progress is slow, but you do, you do learn stuff along the way. And so I think one of the things, one of the reasons I, I really wanted to have you on Jeff was to sort of explore a little bit of a framework for success when it comes to implementation projects. If we can extract some fundamentals, some best practices from the change management world and really talk about them in the context of contracting businesses, I think, yeah. well, I know this is a, pronounced need for our listeners and something a lot of us want to get better at. Uh, We want to implement like a pro and we're frustrated when it doesn't, when it doesn't happen. Um, So I'll actually just kind of like have you lead us through this. The, um, the, I think the, maybe it's the first chapter in your book, certainly an early one is this idea of, of start at the end. Do you want to just dive in there? Yeah, and it, the concept really comes from um, Stephen Cummings' famous book, you know, Seven Habits. And, and one of them is start with the end in mind. Similar idea. So it's hard to get people hooked on going somewhere different unless they know where the destination is. But there's a particular approach we have to use as leaders. 
So we do want to paint the picture. It's not just a matter of saying, hey, we got to do this thing because we think it's going to increase our sales by X percent. The numbers typically are not that interesting to individuals. But tell me the story. What is this going to do differently uh, for us? Um, when we achieve this change, uh, how are people behaving differently? What looks different? What's our interaction with customers like as a result? Because it's easier for me to buy into that kind of an image than the numbers themselves. So you start with the end in mind, paint that picture in broad brushstrokes. I got to leave room in there for my employees to say, okay, if we're doing this, I have a couple of requests or suggestions. I'd like to see it done this way. And the more room I give to them to weigh in and help paint the picture in detail, the more buy-in I've got. They tend to step up much faster. Do you think there's a, you say numbers aren't that interesting. Is there sort of like a business owners need to use Google Translate for their employees and like change this? Because like I can see a lot of people being like, guys, we can add three points to our GP and like improve customer life cycle. And like they're saying that with genuine like frothing excitement. And right. everyone is looking at them being like, okay, like, cool. I was, I was working with the leader uh, just last week and they had all these slides around you know, market share and competition. And I stopped them and said, just so you know, these first three slides all sound like wah, wah, wah <laughs> to people in the audience. Right. Um, so, so you got to connect the dots. All right. So let's say three points. And that is a big deal. But what does that mean in terms of the employee? There isn't always a direct benefit. I want to be clear on that. The, a lot of the changes we're making this these days don't give something to the employees. We might talk broadly around, well, in terms of the um, security, longevity, the organization, it's good. Okay, I got that. But what can help hook me as an employee is if you say, we're doing this thing, and yeah, it's going to help us out with efficiencies and, and uh, reduce our costs. But what it does for the customer is, and now connect those dots. So we implement a new CRM. I now have data at my fingertips that tells me when customer A calls in, I already know these things. What does that happen to their interaction? Well, it goes a lot faster. And so they're one step closer to seeing their roof replaced and being able to smile up at, oh, we finally got that done. Thank you. Right. Well, that leak is now gone. So I want to connect it to the experience of my client, my customer, my community, maybe even my country if I'm doing something really big, but I'm connecting it to people, the mm -hmm. impacts we're having for individuals. Mm -hmm. But doing it in business owner speak is, is the way to get kind of blank stares and not a ton of excitement. You do need to drill this down to the lived work experience of the team members who are involved in this. And I just think that's a, that's kind of a practical piece of advice to do. And it's not, it's not immediately obvious that that's important. What do you, what do you do? Like, as far as just practical steps, like, do you have leaders do a lot of writing? Do a lot? Do they put together slides? Like, what are, is there a step-by-step -step kind of process or framework you have people follow to get that vision, first of all, clear in the owner's mind so that they can then take the next step of getting it clear in the team's mind? Yeah, I've got to say, for, for many of us, including me, PowerPoint is often something we're leaning on. Um, it, it is kind of like a crutch. Um, I just watched a CEO um, doing a presentation where they're reading all the speaker notes. Audience knows that immediately, that this is canned stuff. And again, boring factor goes up like that. So if I could get rid of the presentation layers, just like you and I are doing right now, and speak, get them to speak passionately about why this is important for the business and our customers... Folks pick up on that. Change is often about the emotional component. Numbers are good, but the emotion's better. Uh, I want to give you an example. So I love going to Mexico. Me too. Love it. My wife says we will never go to Mexico together for a vacation. The reason is she was told a story by a, a person at work who heard it from a friend, who heard it from the neighbor, who heard it from their <laughs> uncle and said, I went to Mexico and had the worst time ever. Right. And not just that it was bad, I actually was afraid for my life at one point. What am I doing? I, I am picking up on the fact that the emotional component of the story she's told has a direct impact on her behavior. Mm -hmm. 
much more than me saying thousands of people come back right. from Mexico every month and say an amazing time, right. completely safe. But the one story, the connection to the individual has a much greater impact. So yes, your data is important. Yeah, the numbers are important. But the story you tell that changes lives, that has the emotional component, way more powerful. And there's research to support that. Yeah, no, that's interesting. That's talked about a lot in the sales world when you're talking about objection handling and like really kind of late stage deal making. If somebody is right. giving you an emotional objection and you try to address it with logic, it's just like, like it just, you know, so you do need Oil to. Water. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a line in that chapter that I wanted you to unpack because he, I, I, so you said something, it's like focus less on the how, what, it, what does that right. mean when we're, when we're talking about start at the end? So a couple points in here that are important. Uh, the first thing that people want to understand when you stand up and say, I have an announcement, like the ears go up. What, what is it? Okay, so what's this thing? All right. Next, do I need to pay attention to this? <laughs> so, so, or can I so check Slack or my TikTok or something else or just check out Correct. completely? Yeah. So why is this relevant to me? And then only once you've got those first two things, what and who, can you get to why we're doing this as a business? I've got to connect them first. Um, and here's again, a, a common one where leaders get off the rails. So like, we're doing this shiny thing and like, yeah, whatever. I'm not, I'm not seeing how it compares to me. So that the, the amount of attention goes down. Um, it also connects with something else I said earlier around, you, you, okay, here's the destination. This is where we're going. Okay. Got it. It connects with me, but I'm not going to give you all the hows right now of how we're going to get from here to there, because a, I don't know them all yet. That's pretty common. B, I want to leave room for you to weigh in. Mm -hmm. And man, you're going to make a difference right there if you say there's going to be participation. Now, some folks don't want to. That's all right. We'll get there. But some are like, oh, okay, great. I can have influence psychologically. That's extremely powerful. So we leave room for the how. Have you spent time thinking about or reading about like why that is so powerful? Because I do. I know that to be intuitively true. I think about my own work. If I'm like, hey, we really need your input on X, Y, Z, it plays into my ego a little bit. I'm like, oh, I'm wanted. Right. I want, they want my ideas. I'm here, you know, and all of a sudden my, my give a shit level about this initiative or this whatever goes through the roof. What, it's just an interesting point. What's going on there psychologically in the minds of, of, of employees that kind of unlocks that buy-in that way? Right. So, um, you know, we talked about earlier, my background is in organizational psychology, but we can throw that out because someone else just said off the top, people just don't like being told what to do. That's why, that's why I'm employed is folks don't want to be told what to do. Go do this. Oh, do I have to? And what's happening now we'll go to the psychology, um, is if you don't give me a choice, if you're taking power away from me, that's a threat. Uh-huh. And we don't think about that, but our brains are doing that immediately. Uh, shiny object syndrome exists because we are, our brains are attracted to things that are different in the environment in case they are a threat mm -hmm. so we can take action. So that's why, um, you, you know, we, we are always looking around change, but we don't always take hold of it because nah, it's making me go in a direction that uh, I don't want to go. Is there anything else you'd tack on to this idea of I, w w like just selling the vision? Like, like, you know, maybe you have some, you're sensing some reluctance from certain people, uh, maybe some overwhelm, whatever. Like, are there kind of tips and tricks around creating buy-in or even excitement if possible <clears throat> about the change being discussed? Yeah. So, it, you know, you mentioned the fact that some of what I've relayed, um, has to do with common approaches to selling and handling objections. And I think there's a lot of relationship between what I do in change leadership and selling. Right. But instead of selling to customers, you're now selling internally. So all those same tactics and strategies apply here. So how do I get to move customers? Same way I get to move employees, <clears throat> get them involved in the conversation. Um, how are you going to be part of this? 
can I lead you to draw a conclusion that I want you to draw, uh, but do it for yourself? Mm-hmm. We again introduce this, this foundational component of control. To the extent I give you control over where we're going or input or influence, your comfort level increases buy-in. To the level of excitement, um, I'm going to keep repeating this because I do it with leaders too. Uh, I'm like, you know, the broken record. You got to connect it to your customers. You got to tell the story. The story is what's inspirational. You can tell the same story through the whole thing, but eventually, um, I use the word attenuate. It becomes noise. People don't hear it anymore. So you vary the story. You you create a new story uh, to get their attention once again, but constantly refreshing that, pointing towards this is the difference it's going to make. Mm-hmm. Better future. Now, some of these projects, most of these projects, unless it's a pretty open and shut kind of unilateral move that you can do on your own, most of these things are multi-month or in some cases, multi-year things. Right. And uh, that's a long time. So what, like, do you, is there something you can say about breaking, you know, breaking it down and giving little finish lines along the way, milestones, a critical path, whatever the terminology you use, like how do we, how do we break this up into manageable chunks in other words? Yeah. Great question. Uh, Because um, we do get demotivated when the goal line is so far out. Then you're like, okay, well, I'll just wait yeah. until I have to do something. Um, so a couple things. One is you want to generate quick wins as, as much as possible and then continue those throughout. So, yeah, we're implementing this, this big system. Um, uh, so let's take Salesforce.com. That's a big one. That's going to take time to get there. But in the meantime, what's the quick win? All right, well, we're going to take a look at some of our process and, and we do need to document those so we can ensure the system is set up to support the way we do it. Okay, let's knock that off. And then I can celebrate the crap out of it. Um, so, you know, this is a big deal. Amy and Jennifer stepped up. Uh, they made sure we've got this down. And not only did they did that, but they identified a couple ways we could make this even more efficient. Holy smokes. Thank you so much. So, um it is a bit over the top, but we do it that way. You you almost over-celebrate some of these things. You need to be a cheerleader. You have to be a cheerleader. Thank you. That's a critical role of leaders, uh, of being the biggest proponents of their people. Um, you also mentioned uh, mile markers. So this, this has an interesting effect as well. Uh, so you're in the middle. Let's take Salesforce again. You're in the middle now of getting it set up. For employees, that can feel like a quiet time. So, you know, your IT person is working with Salesforce to do some configuration and it's taking a while. So there's not a lot to report. That can lead to folks feeling uncertain. Oh, maybe this isn't going so well. Um, I haven't heard anything for a while. Maybe we're off the rails. So having a regular cadence of communication every third Tuesday, I don't care what's going on with the project. We're going to do an update. Everyone's going to get on the call. And even if I have nothing to say, I'm going to tell you, there's nothing to say. We're still in that phase, but we're still on track for the vision. The next call is coming up and I expect to be able to update you on A, B, and C. The reason why it's important is because when I have a regular structure like that, I am creating another level of predictability. It's a form of control. Mm -hmm. So whereas a change might feel chaotic, there's so much going on. I know every third Tuesday there's going to be an update. And so I can quell a bit of that anxiety until we meet again. Mm-hmm. Very important to have that structure. Is there a, I'm sure it varies a ton for the size and scale and complexity of, of implementation projects. But like, I, I like, like concrete answers. Like is, you know, should, it went in doubt. Should we have four milestones? Is it eight? Is it 20? Like what's kind of a, is there a rule of thumb around that? Or is it just completely variable every time? There's no rule of thumb, but there is, (laughs) that is a really good question. There are milestones that employees don't care so much about. So like, Hey, we finished configuring module X, (laughs) whatever. I don't care. Sick. Yeah. But the, the danger in that as well is, especially if it's a technology change, Things move all the time. So, so the other reason this is a great question is 
it's very wise near the beginning to set the expectation that things will change. So yeah, we got this vision. We are going to get there. This is the timeline we're setting out. I fully expect that some of the things we talked about today are going to change as we go along. But my commitment to you is I will always keep you apprised. Yeah. Yeah. That says something and sets them up to acknowledge, okay, whereas I might've thought we're off the rails. In fact, it's just an adjustment. One of the um, sections that I, I, I really enjoyed the most was, I, I think it was something like predict and remove barriers. Like you're going to encounter obstacles or roadblocks or gates that are locked along the way, doors that don't open, you know what I mean? Like along the way. And um, I, there was like a little graph or a chart or like a way of thinking about this that I found really compelling. And I'll just kind of let you unpack that idea of predicting and remove barriers. Mm-hmm. Sure. So um, I, I love to tell a story around this. So <clears throat> Joe's got a hot dog stand and we love Joe. Best hot dogs I love ever. hot dogs, down too. To, yeah, see? So Joe uh, is always on the same corner. And um, city planner comes to him one day and say, Joe, uh, we've got some construction we're going to be doing down here. So um, I need you to just move one block west. Joe looks down the road. And says, yeah, it looks okay. Sidewalk's pretty smooth from here to there. Um, uh, pedestrian foot traffic, not bad in the morning, so I can get my cart down there. Uh, and I can see that there's lots of individuals, especially over the lunch hour on that corner. So right on, he's bought in. This is actually a significant change, even moving one block for the hot dog stand. But he can kind of see where he needs to go. Thumbs up. <clears throat> but if the city planner says, actually, Joe, uh, once we started construction, we're finding a whole bunch of problems under the street. We're going to be digging up everything. Uh, so I need you to move seven blocks into the northwest corner of downtown. Joe can't see that anymore. I got an idea where it is, but I don't know what the path is like. Um, is it going to be bumpy, difficult? Um, might've hit something and my cart spills over on the way there. I don't know what the foot traffic's like there. That could be a detriment to the way I've always done things. Maybe they don't like bacon bits on their hot dogs over there. I got to change my whole menu, right? So, this is important because what I'm pointing out is the level of complexity or difficulty of me moving from point A to point B. It's really low when it's one block away, but when it's seven, eight blocks away and I can't tell what I'm going to encounter along the way, the level of difficulty, things I'm going to have to do and learn along the way. Wow, that's, that's pretty high. There's another factor, desirability. So we looked at difficulty, now desirability. So again, first instance, I move a block away. I can see there's good traffic. Yeah, going to be successful, desirable. All right. I might even make more money over there. But in moving to the northwest corner, I've heard there's not as many people that come outside for lunch. And now I'm really concerned that it would be a loss of business. Mm -hmm. Now, let's put this in context of your employees. Employee. I need you to make a change to step three of this procedure. Great, no problem, that's pretty straightforward. I can see how to do it. We're gonna be implementing a new system that radically transforms the way we interact with our customers. Sounds wonderful to leaders, but the employee's going, holy crap, I knew how to do this perfectly yesterday, but tomorrow, I don't know what that's gonna look like. And if I get it wrong, I'm gonna look like an idiot in front of my friends. So difficulty, high, desirability, low, Right. Now I know exactly where my resistance is going to show up. And it doesn't mean necessarily that Amy or Jennifer is like, this is a stupid idea and I'm not going there. There's nothing you can do to get me there. It just means that I've got to take more care. I've got to do more coaching. I've got to make it easier for them to find their way seven blocks away to that unknown. And I think like to me, the practical takeaway there is just to think <clears throat> of those two axes and and look at projects through that lens so it's you know there's only two there's only two on this graph it's like if it is if it seems if it seems really desirable to the employee and it's relatively low difficulty it's safe to assume that's going to be like a bang bang play that's done we move on to the next thing if it's right. if it is uh if it is you know both 
desirable, but it's really challenging at the same time. It's going to be somewhere in the medium zone if it is like right. not desirable and it's really hard. Good luck with that. So it's just like a way. Is it a way to kind of predict those those slowdown points? Exactly right. So, you know, great example is you get a new phone. Does your new phone come with a manual anymore? No. No. <clears throat> right. Because it's desirable. All of us want a new phone. Love and upgrade. Fantastic. Um, is it difficult? It might be, but I can find the solutions quite easily. I can pull them. I go to YouTube, ask my teenage son, you know, whatever, whatever works for you. But when it's undesirable and it's going to be difficult, what do you do? Uh, do you mind if I talk a bit about Ikea? I'm not sure. promoting them, but. So uh, a lot of us have built Ikea furniture. And so you're familiar with what those instructions look like. And so you've got the picture of what you need to build in that top corner. And if that's all you get, that's all I got. The chances of me building that and it being structurally sound, zero. You, know, you put a book on the book bookshelf, it falls apart. IKEA does not include any words in their instructions. What do they do? Instead, I'm obviously talking in my head. Jeff, can you find two long boards? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, everything's on the floor. Long boards are out. And can you stick those spindly wooden things towel, um, into the holes? Yeah, oh, I, I can do that. And then, you know, screwdriver, and off we go. Step one. Step two, do this. Step three. And all of a sudden, by step 174, you have a bookshelf. So I've got my employee, they're looking at the picture of the bookshelf and that's your destination where I want to go, mm -hmm. but they have no idea how they're going to get there. Mm -hmm. And that looks pretty daunting. Mm -hmm. You as a leader, you come along beside and say, I got it. Let's actually take our eyes off that goal. Can you find these two things? Or I want you to pull up a spreadsheet. You've dealt with a spreadsheet before. Yeah. Okay. Well, we did these two inputs. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You're going to do these two inputs over here in Salesforce or in the LMS, whatever. Okay, I did that. Let's go to step number two. And all of a sudden, what am I doing? Building their confidence. Mm -hmm. Self-esteem's coming up. Um, I didn't fail, or if I did fail, you picked me up, kept me going, wasn't so bad, all right. And then 174, got my bookshelf. There's a parallel to coaching here, which is you know a lot of... Um a lot of coaching frameworks will talk about uh, situational leadership, like what people need in different instances. People that are brand new to a team, in other words, they know they have no idea what's going on, um, or people that are in crisis, like they're really, really struggling. They've been stressed out for months. Their work is suffering. They're not enjoying. People in the, and there are probably a few others we can add to that list, but people in those instances, they, the word they use is high direction, or it's just like, do this, not that. Then right. do this other thing, not that other thing. And so it's like, you, it's all, you go, you tunnel vision on like the next step or three and you almost completely ignore the bigger picture because that's what that person needs in that moment. And you're right. saying when the, somewhere along the path of this change management process, when things, when people go crisis mode or they're just struggling for whatever reason, the case you're making is go Ikea instructions mode. It's funny because it's also um, a counterpoint to what I said before. No one likes being told what to do. But when stress is high and mm. I'm unsure, sometimes they do, do want you. Right. Sometimes they do. But keep it simple and allow me to succeed. Yeah. Um, that that kind of leads to, I think, another thing that I, I find a, maybe the most interesting part of this, which is like dealing with resistance within. We talked about this earlier. But I, I want to go deeper on this. So a lot of the times what we'll hear in business assessments or in Breakthrough Academy is we tried to do, you know, time tracking, but Tim just refuses to do it. We tried to, um, you know, do XYZ implementation project, but Tina just is stuck in her ways. And I think, too... Right. This aging workforce thing, which is kind of a unique trait of the of sort of the construction and trades landscape, you you're dealing with a lot of baby boomers a lot of the time. And so when we talk about technology, which isn't the only kind of implementation project, by the way, but it is a common one that a lot of people will relate with. There is a there is sometimes technical skill gaps that make this increasingly challenging. So when mm -hmm. a leader is 
making an important change and they're met with, let's say, firm resistance within What's the what's the policy here? Do we exit those people? Do we coach those people patiently? Do we shift them to another department so they don't need to deal with this? Like, what's what do we do? <laughs> Not the last one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so all the strategies we talked out about so far, all of them apply. So even though I can anticipate, I know some of those folks in the business that are going to drag their feet or dig right in and say no. I'm still going to try to convince them. I'm going to connect the dots, say, this is why it's good for you, or this is why it's good for our customers. I do all those things. So now, as you said, I can still see this person is is not um, getting in line, so to speak. It is a one-on-one discussion, um, and it always goes same structure, behavior first. What am I observing? So listen, when I have these discussions, I can see you're rolling your eyes. Uh, you might be huffing. Um, and I've asked you to do a couple things, timesheet, you don't do them. And the consequence of that is fill in the blanks, right? So it's my favorite line here. Help me understand. And the reason we do that is because maybe there is a reason that I don't know. So I'm going to give you the opportunity. Help me understand why this is. Am I mistaken? And um, with folks that are really entrenched, they're not going to move. They'll just tell you, no, I think this is the stupidest idea. I'm not going to do it. So I do want to coach. If there's a reason they're struggling with something, you know, like, actually, I got a lot going on. This is really hard right now. Okay, great. Well, maybe I can do something about that. Let's reprioritize your work. I'm going to shift some of this over to this person and, and try and make it easier. But if they're dug in, if they're entrenched, then, all right, well, if you don't do it, consequence is, and I'm not afraid to say, exit. If you don't, if they stick around, the chance that they will now infect the rest of your employees Mm. grows Mm -hmm. because they know they're not doing it and they're not getting away with it. Maybe I don't need to do it. And all of a sudden there's contagion. So you have to deal with that. And sometimes exit is the right answer. But it's case by case, and sometimes it isn't. Sometimes the resistance is due to they, uh, they're something they don't know how to do, and they're too afraid to ask. And you unearth oh. that in that process. Or sometimes it, they literally have just forgotten because they're getting divorced. Like whatever. Like it's very, like it's very, it's a very personal thing. So when I, you know, I guess the way I ask that question is maybe too simplistic. It's like, what do you do when people don't want to do it? And it's not, it's not as simple an, an answer as like, well, I'll show them the door. It's, it's very much like it depends on the person. It, and it, yes, and it is a continuum. So, you know, I, I like to say there are some who they can't. Okay, they need training, they need coaching, they need feedback. And we're going to talk about removing barriers, I think. Um, um, and then there's, uh, I, I don't know how, um, or I won't, right? And they've just said, forget it. And in the case of I won't, then, you know, right. I'm looking at my more extreme strategies. But mm-hmm. but you're right. Um, I can't could be I'm afraid and I'm, I just need help getting over that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I really like that answer. And I like the way you, you say it's it's kind of a continuum. There's different reasons you might be met with resistance. And it's probably not in your best interest to assume that you know what those reasons are. Um, how, so... When we when we look at let's say we're within striking distance and we're getting close to the finish line, what are your thoughts around measuring success and sort of, um, you know, making it official that hey we've done this now? How do, how do we know that we're done and and how do we make that an exciting part of the journey with the team so that the next go around? Because by the way, six months later, something else in the business is going to need to be overhauled. This isn't this isn't a one and done thing. Um, right. How do how do we maybe leave the whole thing on a high note? Yeah, th- this whole issue of measurement is a good one because um, I, I see two common scenarios with leaders. Uh, in larger organizations, they actually don't want to get too specific on measures because they know they're going to get held accountable to that. And it's not always easy, easy to hit them. Um, but it's, let's say, okay, folks are being clear. Again, you talked about, well, it's going to do, uh, we're going to save this percentage on, on costs. It's going to help our bottom line this much. Great. So they're pointing to that as success. That's dangerous because getting that, uh, realizing those benefits often takes time after you've crossed over the change line. Right. Okay, so what is it? it then is it um, 
I flipped the switch. We turned on this new system. We started this new process. Well, again, do you have 100% adoption on day one? Often you don't. Even when folks are bought in, they're still learning. They're practicing. They're getting better at it. It hasn't become part of their woven in way of working yet. Okay, so then uh, what are other measures I might want to use to say success? Let's rewind all the way back to the beginning. So I've laid out the goal. I can ask people, are you bought in? Like, is this something that you would support? And expect near the beginning, it's moderate, moderate to high, because folks still don't know all the details. We haven't filled in all all the blanks yet. But along the way, I'm going to keep taking the temperature on that. How are you feeling about where we're at? And now I'm going to add in more questions. Uh, I want to get at when we come to go live day, do you feel you can do what we've asked you to do? And when we start asking that question, it will be low of, no, I don't feel like that. I haven't even taken training yet. Well, do you expect you're going to be able to if we do a good job of training? Yeah, I think so. Now you've taken the training. How are you feeling? Better, but mm. still some gaps. Okay, let's focus on that. So, so your question is a good one because we can't just look at the end point and say, I flipped the switch or we got there, mission accomplished. No way. We take temperature all along the way to see, are people buying in? Are they gaining the skills and appreciation they need to be successful day one? So there's like a critical mass in terms of excitement level and buy-in that's sort of palpable to you, the leader, near the end right. that gives you the signal, hey, we're we're done here, or 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 we're you know we're doing kind of final details, but the the heavy lift is complete. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, one thing that I I'm kind of going back up to the the start start at the end point, but one thing that I have found useful, and you tell me if this is the wrong way of going about it. When we have done painted pictures for Breakthrough Academy in the past, there's a sentence uh, and it's this, we'll know we're done when, semicolon. And then there's usually a handful of bullet points. And so for us, it's to do with the number of clients, our reputation in the industry, the technology we use, the size of the team, the org chart, it's blah, 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 blah. I find that useful. What are your thoughts on that way of going about it or that way of quantifying the finish line to some degree. Absolutely. So you're right. It does come back to this starting with the end in mind. Yes, we talked about painting the picture, but you have to be specific on what those objectives are. There's criteria. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, a common one that people use is uh, for these types of changes, people process technology. What are your objectives in terms of people, right? I want to have high adoption rate. I might say that um, um, our error rate is is down to 10% within 30 days of going live. Um, the, the calls into our help person, uh, you know, they're decreasing. Um, uh, Process-wise, what are we seeing? So, you know, our throughput is good, our error rate's low, and then technology is operating the way we we want, we were able to flip the switch successfully. Everything's functional. And then we can get onto your business goals as well. Yeah. That's it. That's, I, I really like that. I find, I don't know, my brain just gravitates towards that sort of like we're checking boxes way of quantifying it. KPIs are important too, but I, your comment is noted in the sense that a lot of the times the metrics that we think this implementation project are going to generate are delayed. Like the thing gets finished and then it takes another year for us to really see the ROI on it. So if you, anyway, I, 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 I that's a, a really great comment. And I think you could do something, you, you could do a lot of great work and then be pretty depressed because it's not giving you the result you wanted <laughs> overnight, which is pretty normal. I, I, I got to throw in Benji, it, it, it's so critical from the beginning for leaders to appreciate that the results do take time to come. So you can't just cross the finish line and then, you know, we wrap up the project and people go back to their lives. There's a sustainment period, easily 30 days, often 60, 90 and longer, uh, where folks need that continuous reinforcement of, hey, am I doing it right? Um, I need coaching to improve along the way in order to get the returns you're expecting. Um, Could you shed some light on the right amount of implementation work for kind of putting you on the spot here, but let's say a, you know, you you know, the audience we work with, let's say they're one to $10 million a year. A lot of them are kind of between two and five. You can kind of picture the shape and size of that organization. How mm-hmm. much is too much when it comes to implementation project? This ties back to the SOS syndrome, which a lot of people 
um, struggle with. So what's, is there like right. a good heuristic, a good rule of thumb, a, a number of projects someone should be taking on each year to not overwhelm themselves, not overwhelm the team to make sure things get done in a methodical fashion? It's seven and I'll send you my bill for that. No, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, clearly um, <clears throat> it's different for every business, but more importantly, it's different for individuals. So remember we talked at the beginning around capacity for change and the battery. So the battery gets drained during the day. And you actually said there are things we can do to improve the battery. And you're absolutely correct. So what's interesting to me is a really good leader is, is getting to know their people. They're a coach, uh, but they're looking for ways to develop them and boost their ability to navigate change because it's not going to stop. Right. We can all agree the pace of change will not slow down. But one thing I really encourage leaders to do during the pandemic, and it applies outside of that as well, but if you asked people, what did you learn to do or do differently during the pandemic? And I've done this exercise. I, mean, I, don't, I don't really know, Jeff. I said, well, how many of you started doing some baking? You learned how to bake. You started <laughs> a new language. <laughs> um, you had kids at home, so you became a teacher. You learned how to use virtual meeting technology. You learned how to build relationships from a distance. You learned, and I can go on and on. Like, oh, geez, I guess we did do a lot. We learned, like, yeah, you demonstrated incredible resilience. Here's the point I'm making. For leaders, you're always watching your organization for successes, or you're thinking about your history of what have they done to navigate some pretty incredible change. And I'm going to remind them, this is how you start building the capacity for more. Mm. When you look at the next change and go, wow, that looks pretty daunting. You're right. It does. I'm going to be here with you through that. And I want to remind you, you did this, 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 and this in the past. And you were incredible. Because we find building skills, that's important to help people navigate change. But if I can modify the mentality, the thinking, it's 10 times more powerful. Mm -hmm. So letting people know they're actually really good at change, that we were built for that, has an incredible impact on capacity mm -hmm. and you can do more. Mm -hmm. um, you you want to reward the good behavior and circle back to it because in the mind of the employee, they may have forgotten. Happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want you to dismantle a belief system that I hear come up a lot in these conversations and it's this. Uh, we're talking about Breakthrough Academy. They're thinking about joining the project pro program. They're looking at it pretty closely. They're they're pretty far down the buyer's journey. Mm -hmm. And a, a line or a sentence comes up, something along the lines of this. Yeah, you know what? I, this looks really good. You guys clearly know what you're doing. We want to do this, but... Um, I think that like December is going to be a really good time for all this implementation work. We'll kind of hammer this out in the slow season. Now, mm -hmm. I know that not to be true from a lived experience standpoint. I don't know the technical answer. So t why, why is implementation like a mindset, a way of being and not a date on the calendar? Well, it, it's about momentum. Like we're, you know, we're cruising down a path. Some stuff's going good. You know, I like to remind people the biggest enemy of growth is success. So things are going well. Um, and, you know, even if I did nothing again, right, that phrase, you know, we're going to continue making money. Uh, change introduces some level of pain. Uh, but the reality is that if we, there's never a good time, right? There's always something else going on when you think you're all oh, right, things will slow down. Then the last thing you really want to do is embark on a new initiative because it takes more energy. You can't relax while you're expending more to try and turn the ship a little bit. Uh, so, you know, we, we often say in these projects, there is never a good time for go live. There's never a good time. To, there will always be an objection, but get on with it. You have to focus on what's the return you want and why would you wait to get that return? Go. So we're aligned then. That, that line that I'm hearing is total bullshit. It, ne that, it never works that way. It never works that way. Okay. Thank you. I feel validated. I feel seen and understood. <laughs> That's what I'm here I'll for. Send, I'll, <laughs> well, I'm going to send them your way and you can tell them. Um, 
That's good, man. I think we've covered so much. Let's mm-hmm. let's close out here. Tell, just again, remind us where people can follow you and where people can get this book. There will be, a, not everyone, but there will be a number of leaders who on their plan this year have a litany of things they want to get done and are feeling probably a little, if not lost, maybe a little foggy about how they're going to get across the finish line and, and, and build that implementation muscle. So where can people kind of follow your journey and where can people get the book? Best place to start is at my website, www.jeffskipperconsulting.com. Um, you know, you talked about building up expertise and it requires practice. Um, I've been writing my newsletter weekly for six years now. So that's called Impacted. Um, and in that, I look at all the different elements about implementing change. We look at what's happening in the news and what we can learn from that. And also strategy and what it takes to, to move forward on that. Um, I'll also say uh, on my website, I have a number of free resources. So by all means, take advantage of that. Um, it does, you know, you end up on my mailing list, but I promise it'll be worthwhile for you, but lots of goodies there, including that graphic we, we talked about with desirability versus difficulty that's there for people. Um, so, you know, welcome, uh, to follow me or drop me a line. If you've got a question, you know, happy to interact with folks. Uh, this was super enlightening even for me. And I, I really, really appreciate the time. It was fun prepping with you. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I really enjoyed the book. Um, if guys, if you're listening, check out Jeff. We will link all of this in the description. So there'll be just quick links you can tap on to take you to his website or the book or what have you. So Jeff, thank you, man. Uh, awesome having you today. Great. Thanks, Benji. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for watching this episode of Contractor Evolution. If you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.